Thanks very much, Derek. Okay, uh, good afternoon to all of you. Shall we just uh, pray to God as we come and uh, listen to His Word? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word to us. Please now speak to us through your Word and help us to understand by your Spirit and to respond with obedient hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Now, you know, one thing I realize about Singaporeans is that they're very pragmatic people. Okay? Singaporeans are very pragmatic. And generally, we go not so much for philosophies or theories, but we go for whatever works. You see, Singaporeans go for practical results, right? It's probably the Chinese cultural influence, because that's the Chinese mentality. I mean, uh, Deng Xiaoping, who was the, one of the previous leaders of China, he said this thing. He said, it doesn't matter if the cat is black or white, as long as it catches mice. Isn't it? Now, you can see this pragmatic thinking in, uh, in Singaporean people in how important money is to us. Right? Money is king because with money, you can make everything happen in your life that you want to happen. But it doesn't just end with money. You see, our pragmatism happens in other decisions that we make too. So when I was in uh, Australia as a student, uh, I, I met uh, other students of Asian background and they studied accounting, business, IT, computer, law, medicine. But I never knew a single one of them who studied the arts or history or philosophy. Why? Because for us, we think we just want to learn something useful, something that can uh, you know, give us a good career and make money, basically. Right? Now, you know one thing, even religion, even religion is a pragmatic matter for Singaporeans. So for many of us, whether something is true is not that important. It's whether it works for us. It's whether it benefits us, you see. So, actually, why do people go to the temple and pray? Well, actually, ultimately, it's about themselves, isn't it? They go there to pray to ask for prosperity, to ask for health, to ask for their children, to ask for success in their exams, to ask for a life partner, whatever it might be, it's something that they badly want. right? So even religion, as far as people are concerned, is for self-interest. Now when it comes to the Christian religion, the natural reaction for Singaporeans is to ask, well, why should I believe? What's in it for me? You know, what do I get out of it? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Now, what we read today is a record of something that happened 2,000 years ago. And this Christian teacher, Paul, went around teaching Christianity in the Roman Empire. And he got to this place called Athens. Okay? I'm sure you've heard of Athens. That's where they had the Olympic Games in 2004. And um, Athens was like the intellectual and cultural capital of Greece, in a way. It was... People there were very, very intellectual, very up there, very atas, you know, elitist in, in English. Okay? They loved to debate all those new philosophies and all those new worldviews. You know, in verse 21, it says that everybody who lived there actually spent their time talking about the latest ideas all the time. You know, they're not like Singaporeans, right? Singaporeans would never do that, right? Hang around wasting time talking about ideas. They would be go up there doing stuff, working hard. But you know, for all their knowledge, they didn't know 
what was most worth knowing. And when Paul told them about Jesus, they didn't understand what he was talking about. And so they wanted to find out more and they invited him to this place called the Areopagus, which is um, it's really the most kind of uh, prestigious forum that they had. It's a bit like um, when we, you know, like going to the examining body of the top university in the whole country, that kind of thing. You see, that's where all their top philosophical and educational leaders had their committee. But Paul did not go there because he had to defend himself or, or to ask for their approval. Paul went there to tell them something that they didn't know, to proclaim to them in the next a page, it says in the verse, Now what you, worship, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you something that you don't know. And what's this thing that they don't know? What's this message? Okay, I'll read to you from verse 24. Verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them, and the exact places where they should live. Now, as much as we hate to hear it, we don't live for ourselves. See, we don't exist for ourselves. The purpose of our lives is not us. It's God. God is the starting point of everything. God is the source of all reality. And God is the reason why everything exists. God made the universe and everything in it. He made all the people who exist. And not just that, God didn't make it for us. You see, God made it for Him. God made it for Himself to enjoy for his own pleasure and his own purpose. So it's not about us. It's about God. And because God made everything, he also owns everything and he also rules everything. See, because God is the creator, he's also the Lord. He owns us, he rules us, and he has complete authority over us. We cannot escape that. So imagine if you don't believe the police exist. Okay? So you go out there and drive too fast and you get a ticket for speeding. And you say, to you, oh, I don't have to pay this fine because the police are not real. It's just nonsense. Right? Now the fact that you don't believe in the police does not mean that they don't exist. Right? They're still there. Whether you choose to believe or not. And they're going to catch up with you sooner or later. See? That's how it is with us and God. Sometimes we think, I don't believe in God. So what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you don't believe in God. It means God is not there. He doesn't exist. He's still Lord. No matter whether you acknowledge Him or not. No matter whether you make Him the boss of your life or not, He's still your boss. Now this God, who is Lord over all, is a powerful God. He's a totally self-sufficient God. See, the ancient Greeks, they believe that the gods lived in temples on Mount Olympus. Okay, and uh, the humans had to offer food and sacrifices to them. But the real God is not like that at all. You know, God doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't need us to offer Him food, otherwise He would starve. No, He wouldn't starve. 
God doesn't need us to build churches or temples for Him to live in. God doesn't feel lonely if we don't pray to Him. God doesn't need us to believe in Him to, to boost His self-ego and to make Him feel good about Himself. No. It's actually the other way around. You see, it's not God who depends on us. It's us who depend on God. See, God is loving and generous to us. God is not a, a tyrant. He's the one who gives us life and breath and everything else. See, food to eat, water to drink, this earth to live on. God gives us health and family and possessions and the list goes on. See, all these things, every, every breath that we take actually, every beat of our heart is because God sustains it every second of our lives. And if God takes away His hand, we would drop dead. See, we experience God's goodness at every moment of our lives. And we owe our existence to God. And God actually determines, He says, where we will be born. God determines who our parents will be, what country we are born into, what time in history we are born into. God determines every detail of our lives. See, we owe Him everything actually. Everything that we have, everything that we are, comes from God. And so actually, we should thank Him. We should give glory to Him and we should find out what He wants us to do for Him, how to serve Him and live for Him. This should be our natural response to God. Now, verse 27, let me read to you. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. Now, when we reflect on life, it ought to make us seek after God. See, when we think about life, we think to ourselves, actually, I don't control who I am. I don't control when I'm born. In fact, I didn't even ask to be born. I didn't even ask to, be, to exist. You know, We have no control over the fact that we exist. We have no control over the time that we are born into, the country, the family that we have, nothing. We don't decide what we look like either. Right? We didn't create the food that we eat or the, or the water that we drink or the earth that we live on. So we actually realize I exist because somebody out there made me. Everything is here for me. I didn't make any of this happen. And that should drive us to think God is the one who made me and whoever it is who made me has been kind to me, has sustained my life and provides everything that I need in life. And God says He did all this for us so that we would seek Him. So that we would think, this God who made me, I need to find out from what He wants of me. Because He gave me life. He sustains it every day. So I must look for Him. I must try to find out more about Him. You know, I must ask, who is God? What is God like? What does He want? What does He expect? How does He want me to live? That is the response that God expects from us, it says. Because when we realize how much we depend on God for everything, then the question that we should ask is not, what's in it for me? What can I get out of it? Why should I believe? No, that is the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is, 
What do I owe to this God? Because God made us and rules us, we have an obligation to Him, to live our lives for Him, to worship Him, to bring glory to Him, to do what He commands. So imagine if, uh, if you go to court one day to visit, right, and you see the accused criminal standing there in front of the judge, and the criminal starts interrogating the judge. And the criminal asks the judge, Hey, are you sure you have the authorization to, to, to judge me, huh? to preside over my trial? What are your qualifications? Show me. Uh, how, how long have you been a judge? You know? How many trials have you conducted before? No, right? That's not going to happen, isn't it? Because it's the criminal who is in the dock, not the judge, you see. It's not up to the guy there to ask the questions. He's supposed to answer the questions. The judge is the one asking the questions. That's the same for us. We stand before God, but sometimes we try to switch places with, with God. You know, we want to give God a job interview. We want to ask Him, God, what do you have to offer me? Huh? How will you benefit me? You see, we want to make ourselves the king of our lives and the center of our universe. But guess what? Things don't revolve around us. Things revolve around God who created all things. He is the real king and the ruler of this universe, of all of us. He's the one who calls the shots. He's the real boss. So it's not us who, we are not in a position to decide whether we want God in our lives. God is already in our lives, whether we want him to be there or not. You see, it's not us asking the questions. We have to answer the questions from God. God will ask us, why should I accept you? Why should I continue your life? What have you done with your life that I gave you? Verse 29 Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In verse 16 earlier on, Paul visited this city Athens and saw that this whole place was full of gods. The people worshipped lots of different gods. The city was full of idols. But he tells them, actually there is only one God, only one creator and sustainer of life. And this creator made all men. So actually this God is not just the God of the Jews, it's not just a God of a certain religion. This God is the God of everybody, no matter what nation, no matter what people, what race or religion or group. They are under this God. And the whole world is ruled by him. So then it is wrong for us to worship anything else other than the true God. And if we worship another God, we are taking the worship that we ought to give to the real God and giving it to something that is not a God. See, Paul says that man-made statues made from gold and silver and stone, they are not gods for us to worship. But you know what? An idol is not just something that you can see and touch. What is an idol, really? Basically, an idol is anything that you prefer over God. An idol is anything that you choose to worship instead of God. An idol is anything that you devote your life to other than God. Anything that you serve with all your heart and anything that you expect to get your satisfaction from. That is an idol. So, in our modern Singapore, 
Maybe our idols may not be things that we can see and touch, but it could be our money, our possessions, maybe the house that we work so hard to maintain, or you know the career that we have, or our family. These could be our idols. In fact, anything that we think will make us happy in life other than God can be an idol. And because our ultimate goal is to be happy, ultimately, our idol is ourselves. You see, we just want to suit ourselves. So we worship ourselves, really. We want to live for ourselves. And that is what the Bible calls sin. See, sin is not seeking God who made us, not obeying Him, not thanking Him as we should. But sin is saying, it's all about me. Now, some of you older ones may know Frank Sinatra, not know him, but know about him, uh, uh, the famous singer, actor. And he sang this very famous song called, I'll Do It My Way. Right? I'll Do It My Way. And that is the definition of sin, isn't it? Sin is, I'll do it my way. I, I don't want to acknowledge this God. I don't want to care much about Him. I want to just live my own way for my own sake. Sin is living for me and not for God. And sin is asking, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? That is sin because it's all about me. Instead of asking, what does God expect from me? And we don't want God to bother us, right? Sometimes we find God a nuisance. So we are so busy, can't God see that? Why are you going to come and inconvenience us, make so much demands from our lives? I'm busy from Monday to Saturday and He wants to take away my Sunday and some of my weekdays and so on. Now imagine if your husband or wife or your good friend uh, want to show you how much they appreciate you. And so they spend hours cooking out a really beautiful meal for you and putting it on the table as a surprise. Or maybe they spend a long time to buy a nice gift for you and gave it to you as a surprise. And when you got the meal, you said, oh, wow, what a nice meal, you know. I wonder what's, for t- what's on TV next. Now I can really enjoy my evening. Or you get your gift and you say, wow, you know, what a nice thing, you know. Finally, you know, somebody, you know, thought about me and, you know, I certainly have been waiting very long for this. You know, I deserve it after such a long, you know, week at work. That would be really, really selfish, isn't it? I mean, no word of thanks, no appreciation, just ignoring the person who did this for you, just pretending that they don't exist. You see, we are like that too with God. We take His gifts, but we, 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 we ignore the giver. See, what we do is we enjoy God's earth. We eat His food, we drink His rain, we work and we play with the bodies that God has given to us, the health that we have. But we never stop to thank God for any of that. We never stop to care about Him at all. We just ignore Him completely. And the only time that we ever want to turn to Him is when things start to go wrong in our lives. And we turn to Him for two reasons. Either we say to God, God, you've got to fix this problem, okay? I expect you to fix this. This is your problem. Or we go to God to blame Him. Right? That is our selfishness. And this self-centered me first attitude. That is what the Bible calls sin. It's in all of us. It's in you and in me. Now verse 30, let me read to you. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. See, God is very angry with our Mephist attitude. God is angry with how people treat him. And he has the right to be angry. See, when we snub him, when we ignore him, we are actually insulting him and offending him because he is the one who gives us everything, everything that we have. And you may not realize it, but that is what you are doing when you live a self-centered me first life. And so far it says that God has overlooked such ignorance. God has tolerated our sin. But not much longer. He says that now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now you may say, well, I don't know about God, I'm a free thinker. But God says, okay, never mind. Now you have been told, okay? In the past, I, I overlooked all that. But now I've told you. On the 20th of June 2010, you have heard. And now you know. And now you have no excuse. I command you to repent. And repent means to turn away from all our self-centered living and to turn to God, to acknowledge this God who made us and to live for Him. See, God says, you have no more excuse. You can't say that you don't know. Now I've told you. Why do we need to repent? Well, it's because God isn't going to be lenient forever. God is not going to be soft with us forever. You see, we are not always going to have this second chance. God says that He is going to appoint a man to judge the world and to punish those who ignore Him. The world is not going to continue the way that it always has been. Because one day God is going to wrap up history and God is going to bring an end to this world and God is going to judge everybody. And we are all going to stand face to face before God and answer His questions. And God will ask us, Did you use your life to seek me? Did you use your life to please me? To serve me? To bring me glory? Because I am your creator and your Lord. And if our answer is, Actually, God, no. I used my life for myself, to please myself. I ignored you. I just did what I wanted. Well, God will say to us that we are under His eternal condemnation. See, God is going to say, since you showed no interest whatsoever in being with me, then I'll send you to a place where you don't have to be with me. That's what you want. But the place that God is not, that is hell. Hell is where God is absent. See, God is going to appoint a man to judge the world. Who is this man? Well, it's Jesus. And how do we know that this judge is going to be Jesus? Well, God says, I prove it to you by raising him from the dead. What do we learn about this raising from the dead? What does it mean? Well, I think there are three things that we can recognize from it. Firstly, in order to be raised from the dead, you have to be dead. That means that Jesus died. That's truth number one. Now, the fact that Jesus died is very important because we have to ask ourselves, why did Jesus die? Well, Jesus died because he came to take the death that we all deserve. You see, God deserves, we deserve to be punished by death because of our rebellion against God. But God says, I'll send Jesus to take that death that you deserve so that you do not have to take it. 
if you believe in Jesus. Now the second thing about being raised from the dead is that the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is the foundation of Christianity. See, Christianity is a historical faith. It's built on something that really, really happened. And if you can prove that Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity will collapse completely. Now maybe you think, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that is just a myth. right? I mean, who believes these things nowadays? Well, let me tell you that there is historical proof and historical, solid historical reasons for us thinking, for us knowing that Jesus did rise from the dead. It is a historical reality. You can go and check it for yourself. You can go and read it up in, in history. Now, if you're more interested to find out about that, I'm very happy to talk to you more about it. Or maybe if you know, you're new here, you can talk to whoever, a Christian friend or somebody who brought you here today. The third thing that we can uh, recognize from the fact that Jesus was raised to life is that there is going to be life after death. See, if Jesus is raised from the dead, so will all of us. Now, all Singaporeans love chasing money, possessions, career, success. But that is not all there is to life. Because there is life after life. Life after this life. You see, what, if there is life after death, then how you live now determines what will happen to you next in the future. And how you live before you die determines how you live after you die. Death is really the only certain thing in life, isn't it? If you chase those things in life now, they are only temporary. They are not worth chasing. You might be giving up a whole eternity just for things that don't last. That's not worth it. So are you ready to meet Jesus, your judge? See, what are you going to tell him when you stand before him one day? Are you going to, how are you going to explain how you spent your life? The wrong question to ask is, What's in it for me and what I can get out of it? The right question to ask is, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? And let me tell you the answer to that question. It is, God says, repent and believe. Repent, turn away from your sinful, self-centered life and believe in Jesus Christ. Now some of you may have watched the Matrix movies. I don't know whether you ever watched those three movies. Now, I found it very confusing, but the basic storyline of the movie is that something that people thought was real was in fact not real. It was just a virtual reality. It was all generated by this computer. right? So people were going about living their lives every day in a completely make-believe world. You know, in fact, they weren't even living that life at all. So when they actually woke up to reality, they got a huge shock because the world was actually completely different to what they thought. And our world is a bit like that too. See, we live in a world where it seems that there is no God and it seems that it's the right thing for us to just chase after the things that people value in life now without thinking about the future and it seems that there is no consequence at all for doing that. It seems that life is just going to go on forever like now. But that is actually an illusion. The reality is that there is a God who made everything, who rules everything, 
and who will judge everyone. And people are going to get a huge shock, isn't it, when they find out that that reality that they thought was so real is not reality at all. In fact, it's the Bible's picture of reality that is true. That will be shocking. And people are going to discover that, actually, I've wasted my life on things that don't matter, on chasing after all this money and stuff like that, which is irrelevant once I die. See, that, but it will be too late by that time when they realize it then. So, don't make that mistake and don't make the mistake of realizing it too late. God is telling you now, God is commanding you today, repent and believe. Now, God doesn't need you to believe. God doesn't benefit when you believe. But He's commanding you to turn back to Him for your own good so that He can forgive you and save you. See, this is God's time-limited offer. It is your choice. Either you accept His offer and believe, or you don't and you reject Him. You see, you can't sit on the fence. You either believe and live His way, or you reject Him and live your way. Now, if you want to repent and believe, then I'll be praying a prayer after this very soon and as I say the prayer I want you to say those words in your heart to God and mean them now if you're not at the stage where you're ready to repent and believe well let me urge you to find out more to find out more about what the Bible actually teaches who Jesus is so come and join us for one of our classes our Christianity Explored classes you can come and talk to me after the service or uh, you can talk to Mark who was leading the service before But whatever you do, don't ignore God's offer of forgiveness. Because God is warning you. God is telling you before it's too late. Your eternal destiny is at stake here. So repent and believe and live for God. Let's all pray. Dear God, thank you for creating me and providing everything I need to live and enjoy life. I admit that despite your goodness, I have ignored you and only live for myself. I know that I deserve your judgment for this. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die that my sins can be forgiven and for raising him from the dead to bring me new life. I now turn away from my sin. I put my trust in Jesus and I want to live under him as my Lord and Saviour. Amen.